must be for God I never brought in mind Should all the acquaintance be for God Robert Burns is Scotland's most successful cultural export and this episode of Tea the Bard will celebrate Auld Lang Syne, undoubtedly his most well-travelled work. Burns's version of this traditional song has become a central part of all manner of occasions, from weddings and hugmany parties to, of course, the Burns Supper. Our guests have close links to the song that has become a global anthem. Folk singer and musician Mary Campbell's recording, featured in the first Sex and the City movie, and even inspired her to create a one-woman show. Rona Brown from the Centre for Robert Burns Studies is closely engaged in research into Robert Burns's poems, songs and correspondence. So many think Auld Lang Syne is a song about goodbyes when in fact it's a celebration of friendship and reunion. Rona, could you tell us a little bit of the origins of the song? Yep, so Burns sends the finished version of Auld Lang Syne for inclusion in James Johnson's collection of Scots songs, a Scots musical museum in about 1788. And in that letter he refers to it, and I'm going to quote from that letter, as an old song of olden times and which has never been in print, nor ev- not even in manuscript, until I took it down from an old man. So Burns takes down only a bit of that song, obviously, from this old man. But the idea of the song, really about remembering, preserving old friendships and that central term of Auld Lang Syne dates back a few centuries actually before Burns. It appears in a few places in Scottish literary history. There's a poem called Auld Lang Syne by the 16th, 17th century poet Robert Ayton. It's also in a poem by Burns's great favourite Alan Ramsay who's working at the, the beginning of the 18th century and it also appears in a song collection called Watson's Choice Collection of Comic and Serious Poems in the early 18th century. But these are sources really for Burns, sources of inspiration. He uses all of these sources to create something that's unique, something that is really original and truly his, I would say. Absolutely, and it's Burns's version of the song that is yeah. embraced widely yeah absolutely across the globe Mary could you say a little bit about why you think that is why has Old Lang Syne become so popular well um, I think one of the reasons it got popular was through Guy Lombardo who is a Canadian Italian band leader of the Royal Canadians and he was from Ontario and he first heard Old Lang Syne in his homeland which is where the Scots settled to a lot of Scots settled there so he'd have heard it then and he arranged it and it became the band's signature tune. And they went down to New York and they were very, very popular from 1930 onwards. And then when he changed to television in 1954, the song suddenly just went sort of global. When every year that they, they'd listen they'd to Auld Lang Syne. And uh, apparently Life magazine said that if Lombardo failed to play Auld Lang Syne, the American public wouldn't think that New Year had really arrived, you know, <laughs> really had a place. And I think a lot of things from America do tend to go global. But personally, I also have a kind of theory that I think that the song has got a certain kind of charge in the sound of the words that we sing when we sing it. As a musician, I'm very interested in sound and vowels and consonants and where they sit in the body. <clears throat> and uh, I know this is going out there a bit, and I'm 
yeah, I use this and play with this idea in the show as well. But it's a sort of true point, which is that these vowels for all lang sign, these three words, if you take the consonants out, you've got o, a, i, And these three sounds reside in different places in the body. So my thinking was, now wait a minute, maybe that's why everyone keeps wanting to sing it, because it's doing something for themselves and it's a subtle charge that it's doing in the singing of it. So that's rather than the meaning of it. And the meanings are very universal, but you know, there's quite a lot of songs that are quite universal themes, so there is something else. So the importance of the music and of the sounds as well as the yes. words. Yes, the sounds, the, what you, how are the sounds, how are the words made up, what are the sounds doing? And that's where I'm at just now. It's like, mm, words are more than just meanings. And what about yourself, Rona? Well, for me, the, the melody is certainly something that's hugely powerful for me, especially the older version that Mari sings much more than the one that most people sing. Um, but the, the words are truly universal and there's quite a lot of theory about memory and about how we think about the past and this idea that, that all we really have is memory because we don't understand this present moment until it's past. And maybe that kind of talking about what has gone before, the relationships that have gone before, the things that have happened with your old friends in childhood. How do we keep them alive? What do we do with these thoughts? I think there's something very powerful about the idea of memory as well as just the universality of of the, the emotional centre of the song, I think. Yeah, it's got two kind of lines to it there is that universality of the meaning of it and then this melody I'm just thinking yeah not the one I sing but the one everyone gets to know sort of going up high so you have this sort of completeness about that and then you go back high again so you reach up and then you kind of come home again you know you've landed home so the whole melody kind of holds the being away coming home remembering the highlights coming you know so it it matches it really well so a very poignant song that also happens to be an extremely celebratory and convivial song Yeah, so it can have a very personal meaning for people but it also can be enjoyed collectively as part of a, a social celebration and it's just so wide-ranging I suppose yeah there's also the sounds of the Scots which is rich and they've got rounded vowels and it's quite a rich earthy kind of tongue and I think people quite like the feeling of grappling with that at some level might be something too in the performance of it the holding hands and then the crossing your hands across your body it's it's a performance as well isn't it Mm-hmm. Mary, how important do you think it is to hear traditional music like this on modern cultural platforms such as on the radio and the television and of course in films? Oh, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. There's a sort of a grounding that you get when you hear this kind of music. And I think that, you know, we're all looking for that these days a bit. There's it certainly has a very important role to play in what in, in life at the moment is this grounding thing. I know when I was growing up. Uh, 1970s you know I was 
the music was quite wild and out there. You know, it was this punk era and it was full on. And I was like, I really didn't feel connected to it. I was a bit scared of it all. I lived, did love traditional music. And whenever that came on, I was just like, yes, you know, this is me, you know. So it, I think it has that like, element of, of grounding. Which So, yeah, bring it on, more the better. Absolutely. And, of course, your version of Old Lang Syne featured on the blockbuster Sex in the City. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how that came about. Well, it was amazing, actually. It was quite a fluke. Dave and I, David was my husband and collaborator, and we were a duo called The Cast. And we got together in 1990, 1994, we made our first album. And the first track was Old Lang Syne. And then in 1999, we were asked to sing it for Sean Connery's Lifetime Presidential Achievement Award at the Kennedy Center in Washington. So we went out to, to do that. And um, I was not in a particularly good place. I mean, I, my mom had just died. My daughter was, second daughter was eight months old. I don't know, I was just, oh, it was a bit overwhelmed. Anyway, on that particular night, on that particular event, the worst thing that could happen to anybody happened to me, which was a total freeze <laughs> on stage. But that was fine. I didn't die. You know, I still am here. And as it happened, Sarah Jessica Parker was at that event. So um, they, she remembered it and she gave me a second chance. <laughs> it's actually really a very poignant moment in that film. How did it feel for you to hear your song, your version played? It was a bit overwhelming, to be honest. I went to the film, the the theatre, cinema, just uh, the, on my own in the afternoon. And I sat and listened to it. And when the bit came in, I sort of jumped out of my seat. Went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was great. It took me a wee while to appreciate what had happened but I was just really appreciated what what had happened and I appreciate her I've never met her but I, I a lot to be thankful for yeah and isn't it remarkable that the version this version of the song by Robert Burns has been created and recreated by modern artists and it is just so prominent in cultural life not just in Scotland but all over the world mm-hmm. But it's also related to moments of historical and cultural significance, and not least World War One. Rona, could you tell us some of the most important moments, including, for example, the Christmas truce? Yeah, yeah. One of the most poignant moments, I think, that Old Lang Syne has been used or played a central role was, as you say, in the Christmas truce in, in the First World War. Really quite iconic moment that's been portrayed in films and, and TV across the years. So at Christmas time in 1914, the British, French and German guns fell silent and all the soldiers from all these different countries crossed the line of fire. They exchanged gifts, souvenirs, food and they sang songs. And according to Sir Edward Hulse of the Scots Guards, the soldiers joined together to sing war songs, the type of songs that we would recognise as being associated with the First World War, Christmas carols. Obviously, like Hark the Herald Angels and, and these kind of songs. But finally, Old Lang Syne before the fighting resumed. So it had really quite a, I said poignant before, but certainly certainly a, a role in, in bringing together these forces at a, a really horrible time of conflict. And of course, the conflict continued, but that moment stands out, I think, in the history of the war. 
we've also talked about how that that song is known throughout Asia. Um, it was a huge influence. Burns was generally, but that song was a huge influence on the Bengali Nobel laureate Tagore that, that some folk might be familiar with. But all the way through Asia, it's really the tune or the, the more kind of mainstream tune that people know. In fact, it was for a time the melody for the national anthem in South Korea. Wow. And it's, what is it about it that's so universal? I mean, if we were to try and explain what the universal qualities of that song were, I mean, do you have any insight into that? Well, Mary talked earlier about, about the sounds, and I think there's definitely something in the difference between the two most known versions of that song in terms of the melody, I think. Obviously, the emotional centre of the song is something that's really universal. We all have childhoods that we look back on. We've all experienced loss and reunion and we remember the past. How do we deal with the past? That's really what the song is about. But it's a, a song that really gets me emotionally in a way that I can't explain and much more in the, the version that Mari has sung than the, the traditional version that we sing at the end of Hugmanay or, or Burn Suppers or Weddings. Something about that tune, I think, personally. Mm-hmm. So both of you are obviously very engaged with Burns and his works and before we go, I'd like to ask you, what else about Burns's works and legacy um, it draws you to him or inspires you? Um, his poetic, uh, his fluency as a writer, like I'm, I'm finding him very inspiring these days because I'm trying to write. I find words quite hard to get out. <laughs> and Burns, just when I read him, I'm becoming more and more kind of a appreciative of the fact that this was such a powerful outlet for him it was such a conduit um i mean i do think people are a little antennae for land essentially and if we can find the words um <laughs> which he did to relate us to land and to the nature and things around us uh that's really powerful mm-hmm. and that's that, that's where i think his real charge was he was a beautiful conduit i would say for Land, nature, words, making those connections. And is that what's inspired you to create your One Woman show? I believe that you've created a show about your relationship with... Well, because I kept... The song just kept knocking on my door, you know. It kept just coming up again and again. And part of me was a bit irritated by the song as well because it's a cliche... feels like a cliche quite often, let's face it. At the end of the night, we're all pulling together. It's like, oh, here we go. So I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There must be more to it than there's something going on. So I just noodled away with a director, uh, Kath Berlinson, and we came up with this second solo show that I've got called Odd Lang Sign. And it's great because it's really looking, it's animating the meaning of the song, which is about friendship. Like the song's the most easily understood when you read the words as if you were listening to two people chatting to each other in a pub. You know, we twa he ran about the braes and pooed the gowans fine. We've wandered money the weary fits and all lang sign. We've done all these things together, you know, and now just remembering it, just remembering it, you know. We twa he paddled in the burn from morning sun till dine. You know, so... The show is me recounting particular incidents that I happen to have with an old childhood friend that I had. So that's going on, plus the information about the song. And um, 
And uh, I think something very powerful about the line, we'll take a cup of kindness, even though it's really hard to be kind, seems that there's something quite important in it. And it's really a big line to to put in there. <clears throat> um, yeah, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. And kindness is a, is something that really disarms me. You know, kindness is a powerful thing. And Rona, so your Burns forms a significant part of your work. Could you yeah. just could you tell us what it is about Burns that you love? Gosh, well, there's so many things. Um, I grew up in Ayrshire, surrounded by Burns. My father was a Burnsian. My grandfather was a Burnsian. Um, they were all really involved in the Burns Club locally. And for a long time, I confess, I tried to rebel against Burns because this whole world, he was my dad's figure and, and therefore I had to try and go another way, which is why I started working in Ferguson. <laughs> it's not that far removed from Burns, let's be honest. But he did catch up with me. And the thing I love about Burns is just how applicable to just about every situation in life his work can be. And as a professional scholar, what I like about Burns is the fact that people know, people think they know everything about Burns, but there's always something more to discover. There's always another way of reading, another way of looking at Burns's work. He is an endless source, really. Absolutely. And that's why it's it's so important that we consider his cultural legacy and that we continue his cultural legacy. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for asking. For all we'll talk a cup of kindness yet for all land sign.